you've got your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. We get to start a completely new thought process today. It is clear from chapter 8, verse 1, now concerning, uh, Paul begins. And again, from chapter 7 forward, he's been, the first six chapters, Paul's just telling them everything that he's been hearing about, how there's divisions among them, and they're suing one another, and one guy's got his arm around his father's wife, and you guys stop doing that? But chapter 7 forward, he is answering questions that they have sent to him, probably through Chloe's people or maybe even through a written letter. He's now responding to. And for the last five, six weeks, just in case you're new or visiting, uh, we've been in this section where we're talking about marriage and singleness and human sexuality and sexual immorality. We've been talking about that for four or five weeks now. We get to move to a new subject this morning, and I'd like to read the entire chapter 8, verses 1 through 13, 13 verses. We'll pray and then we'll get into it. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge. But some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, your word is power and it is true. Father, in the day and age in which we live, which has been like all days and ages before, mankind scrambles to proclaim and to uh, share their truth. But Father, your truth has stood the test of time against all other truths of mankind. So Father, we come to it today humbly asking that you help us to be teachable. Your spirit do a work in our hearts and our minds through your word as only you can do. It is in the name of Jesus Christ every Christian said, Amen. 
I hadn't preached in three weeks and already it's like I forgot how to do this. Let me get a swig quickly. Now, heavy text, amen? Heavy text, something in here for us this morning, certainly. But before we begin to dig in and go uh, verse by verse as we do with all the scripture here at Four Points, because what God says is more important than what we think, amen? I want to uh, share with you that this is not just chapter, this thought is not just chapter 8. The same thinking, the same subject matter is going to move from chapter 8 into chapter 9 where Paul talks about his own rights and how he has had to lay them down many times for the sake of the gospel that more people could be reached with the gospel. And then he's going to get into chapter 10 and here's the big idea. Actually this ends in chapter 11 verse 1. Let me tell you how the subject ends on this matter. And if you're wondering, why why does chapter 11, why is this one verse still kind of paired with chapter 10? It's because it's part of that same subject. Remember when when God gave the books of the Bible to the human authors to give to God's people, they were one letter, one work. It was uh, monks and scholars through the dark ages that put chapters and verses in the Bible. They're not inspired, but they do work as addresses, if you will, to help us find things more quickly. That's why they're there. And sometimes the monks put them in the wrong place. Chapter 11, verse 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ, kind of sums up this subject of can a Christian eat meat that is sacrificed to an idol? And guess what? It looks like just the ones with knowledge in chapter 8 are wrong. But here's a little insight into chapter 10. Yeah, the ones with weak consciences, they're wrong too. This is the joys and the glories of being a Christian reading the Bible. At some point, you're going to figure out you're wrong. (laughs) We all are. We all, man, what a difference if it would make in the world if everyone just humbled themselves a little bit and realized we're all part of the problem. Big people, little people. People with beards, people without beards. Democrats and Republicans. (laughs) Trump and Biden. They're both kind of train wrecks at this point, right? I know, I just lost half of you. Actually, I just lost all of you. (laughs) But we're all train wrecks in need of a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus Christ. So, if you're a strong brother or a strong sister, you're going to hate this chapter. Just wait, because the weak brothers don't get to just be weak brothers forever. They got to grow up too. And we got to come together, loving one another, which is the true expression of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who loved himself to the point of death. Death for our sin, death in our place, amen? Now, I've got a uh, slide for you I want to show you real quick. Because we are in the middle. What, what is food? And listen, this is a cultural issue that we don't have to think about anymore. 
There's not a lot of temples around here sacrificing animals, amen? So, so this is not something that, uh, it's a cultural first century issue. As we move through 1 Corinthians, we're going to see a lot of cultural issues that come from that first century context. We're not bound to cultural context of the first century, but there is gospel application for us as we move through this disputable matter in the church. Now I want you to think about that word I just used. Are there some things in Scripture that are clear, black and white, night and day, clear? We just went through some, right? Sexual immorality, it's clear. Anything outside of God's design for man and woman in the context of marriage. Fornication is wrong. You shouldn't do it. Uh, Adultery is wrong. You shouldn't do it. Temple prostitution is wrong. You shouldn't do it. Homosexuality mentioned by name in chapter 6 is wrong. You shouldn't do it. There are some things that are clear in Scripture. And then there's the disputable matters, the, the situational issues that arise Anytime you get more than one person together with another person. Because how many of you know if you've got two people, you got three opinions? <laughs> many of us are married, we understand how this goes. This is a disputable matter that's happening in the church. Probably one of the disputable matters that's bringing so many divisions into the church because some people see it this way and some people see it that way. But I want you to look how Paul sees it. Paul sees it from chapter 8 all the way through chapter 10 and gives the answer to this question, can a Christian eat meat sacrificed to an idol? And the answer is a very clear yes sometimes and no sometimes. Because there are some things that are situational. One of my favorite examples of this in Scripture is when Paul decides to circumcise Timothy but then a little later decides to not circumcise Titus. This is a great example. And if you didn't know this happened, man, this is awesome. In Acts chapter 16, Paul meets a young man named Timothy. We know he writes two letters to Timothy in the New Testament. We know that Timothy is this son in the faith to Paul and becomes this faithful brother, a faithful son that Paul can send anywhere he needs, that comes to visit him as he's breathing his last breaths. But he meets him for the first time in Acts chapter 16. Timothy's mom is a Jew. But his dad was a Greek, and he's, he's not a Jew. He was against circumcision for his son, as all Greeks would have been. Just so you know, Pastor Jeremy, I get to preach about circumcision some too. <laughs> and nobody understood circumcision in the ancient world. It was only a thing for God's people, these Jewish people. Everybody else was like, that is crazy. Why do you cut part of your body off? But it was a sign to God's people. They were different from everyone else. That was the spiritual application God wanted his people to get. Everybody else is one way, and you're different. But Timothy's Greek father didn't understand that. And he's like, no way are we cutting a little piece of his thing off. If you're new or visiting, thanks for coming. 
It's just four points. It gets real around here sometimes. Put on a seatbelt. So, but Timothy, all the, all the Jewish, he was, man, his mom had raised him as a Jew. His mom had uh, all the Jewish community knew Timothy and loved Timothy. And this is a solid man of character. So they introduced him to Paul. And Paul's like, man, I really do love this young man. And I want him to travel with me and help me and become an aid, an aid in ministry to me. But being half Jew... Paul knew that the Jews would never accept Timothy and the gospel uh, with this barrier of circumcision. Jews were looking uh, and trusted uh, him not being circumcised, being his mother being a Jew, would have been a barrier to the gospel he was proclaiming. So Paul's a good missionary. Mission. How many of you have somebody in your family that's a missionary? How many of you know that the schooling and what we call contextualization they undergo before they, they move to a foreign area to proclaim the gospel? They learn the culture. They learn the way uh, the people there dress. They learn the language that people speak. They learn the, the diets and the mannerisms so as not to offend the people they're going to tell about Jesus. So Paul says, you know what, Timothy, we're going to circumcise you just because I don't want any barrier as you are proclaiming to Jews in synagogues. Because everywhere we go, where did Paul start? In the synagogue. I don't want any barriers to be between you and the people to hear the gospel that you're proclaiming. Well, sometime later, we find out in Galatians chapter 2, there's another young man that Paul uh, brings beside him. Just like Timothy's awesome young man, loves the Lord, probably got saved under Paul's tutelage. Paul also calls him a son in the faith. He gets a letter of the Bible written to him as he remains in Crete where Paul had planted a bunch of churches through preaching the gospel. And he leaves Titus there to put things in order and to make sure elders uh, get in place. Good leadership gets in place of all the churches on the Isle of Crete. That's who Titus was. He was a battle axe in the hands of Paul like Timothy. Both of Titus' parents were Greek. Mom and dad, he's full on Greek. And in the Galatian church, there was a group who came called the Judaizers. And the Judaizers were preaching a different gospel altogether than what Paul was preaching. They were preaching, in order for you to be a Christian, we're glad you believe in Jesus. But, you know, uh, Jesus' Messiah came to the Jews. So you got to be a Jew first, which means circumcision is still important. you got to cut yourself and be set apart, become a Jew. Then you can love Jesus. And Paul said, absolutely not. Galatians 2 said, Paul withstood them to their face. Why? Because they were adding something to the gospel that's not part of the gospel. That's why I love the language of Galatians, which, by the way, in the next year, we're going to go through the six chapters of Galatians. It's going to be awesome. And what we're going to find out is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus circumcision, no, that's another gospel. Who's bewitched you, Paul says. Who put a spell on you to think you need something other than Jesus for your salvation? There's only one name now under heaven. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. Not Jesus plus this or that or this or that. It's Jesus plus nothing. It's the message of Galatians. So, 
In, in certain situations, Paul said, let's circumcise you, Timothy, because it'll be helpful for ministry. In other situations, he said, Titus, absolutely not. We're going to stand against these people because they've got it wrong. And this is what's happening here in chapters 8, 9, and 10. We see there are different situations, some in which meat is okay and some in which it isn't. And I want to give you the overview right now. The first time he says, yes, we're going to see in chapter 8. You have the right to eat meat sacrificed to idols in an idol's temple when it is not part of the pagan religious ritual. To understand the first century is to understand that the temples were built for social gathering. So anytime social gatherings occurred, it was usually in a temple. Just like today we have spaces. Just like today we have this church. I don't know if you know this or not, but if you are a member in good standing and you want to use this church, you help pay for it, so we let you. We have small groups that meet here instead of in their homes, dwell forge groups that meet here. People have graduation parties here, including Sarah and I for Abby this past year. People have wedding showers here. If you're a member in good standing, man, this is your building. We want you to use it. And praise God, there's plenty of room if you've got a big family, amen? We got VFWs, we got, we got Fox Hall and, and, and wedding retreat centers. Well, in the ancient world, it was the temple. That was the biggest space where you could feed the most people and gather the most people. So business uh, lunches were, were held in temples, weddings were held in temples, social gatherings, festivals were all held, family reunions were all held in temples. So what we find out is, man, if you are at a, you're not engaged in pagan worship, you just happen to be in a building. Guess what? Buildings are buildings. They're not living. They're not dead. They're just buildings. They're stone. They're brick. They're mortar. So if you happen to be there with your family and every, it's a wedding and everyone's eating meat, it's okay. You can do that. And all the meat eaters said, praise God, amen. <laughs> but Paul also, through this diatribe, says no. What does he say no to? Give up your right to eat meat sacrificed to idols in an idol's temple if it would harm a fellow Christian. Listen, if you're discipling a guy that just got saved and he comes from a hard life and he's a recovering alcoholic, you don't invite him to a wedding and throw down with him sitting right beside you, do you? That's what Paul's saying here. If you find yourself somewhere and you're with someone who doesn't have the freedoms you have, doesn't have the understanding you have, man, there's time to, to not partake for the sake of a weaker brother. And that's just common sense, isn't it? Why, why is it so hard for us in our day and age? I can't wait till next week. Not only do I get to talk about why preachers should be paid, <laughs> but I get to talk about how sometimes we need to lay down our rights for the good of somebody else. Because what, what's the problem with our world right now? It's called identity politics. Everybody only cares about themselves and what they think they're owed. And it's not one group or another group, it's all of us. I mean, you got the, the alphabet community, man, the world belongs to them, evidently. We just better lay down and shut up. But it's everybody. 
It's white people, it's black people, it's brown people, it's Republicans, it's Democrats, it's all of us. We're all, we have rights and we want our rights and it's about our rights and nobody's listening. No one's trying to serve. Sometimes we should serve instead of hammering down on what belongs to us. Number three, this is going to be a good sermon. I'm going to get there. We've got 25 minutes. Number three, we get another no. Because in some situations it's okay, but in some it's not. Do not eat meat sacrificed to idols in an idol's temple as part of the pagan religious ritual. For to do so would be to participate in demon worship. Listen, it's why Christians, and I don't know, I don't know what's going on. It's the internet explosion. There's so much information out there. But I have these stupidest, weirdest conversations with people. I have talked with people who say dumb things like, well, you know what? I just really like the way Muslims pray. I don't believe in Allah, but I just like their commitment and their dedication to get out there a bunch of times and face Mecca and to bow down. Show an I just like the way they do it. So I'm going to go out there and do it with them, not to Allah. I'm going to pray for Christ out there with them. That's dumb. <laughs> don't do that. Because you may have it clear. That's what we're going to talk about. This. You may have it clear in your head what you're doing, but nobody watching does. And all you're going to do is confuse people and make them think Islam is somehow compatible with Christianity. And it's not. Anything and everything that sets itself against the gospel of Christ comes from the lies of Satan and the doctrine of demons. There is one truth and everything else is another false Narrative misinformation isn't just from Russian collusion, which never happened. <laughs> no, misinformation's old. It started in the garden when Satan said, did God really say? Why don't we see it from this perspective? What about this idea? It's all the doctrine. I mean, it's kind of hilarious, isn't it? Jesus said, look, there's going to be guys that come after me. Don't buy into it. Don't believe them. 600 years later, some guy named Muhammad writes an entire book. Jesus was an okay guy, but I'm the prophet. I'm better than Jesus. I mean, it's kind of predicted and prophesied. Don't buy into it and don't participate in it. Obviously, it's the doctrine of a demon. It's not the true word that comes from the mouth that brings all life. God himself. But there's another yes in here. Look at number four. We're going to be unpacking this for three, four weeks. Woo! Yes. You have the right to eat meat sacrificed to idols that you can buy in the meat market and eat in your home or the homes of your neighbors. Praise God. Now, in the ancient world, and have you ever wondered, uh, I don't really have time. I do remember how to preach. I don't have time for anything. <laughs> have you ever wondered why every ancient culture and every ancient religion sacrificed animals anyway? How did that become a universal, worldwide thing? Because what happened when Adam and Eve, our first parents... What happened when they sinned against God? What did did they see God do? 
God who came down in the cool of the day to be with them. They were hiding from him because their sin brought shame and guilt into the world. And God killed an animal and covered their shame, covered their nakedness with the skin, the pelt of the animal. What happened when Noah got off the boat? There's only his family left after the flood. I don't know if you know this or not, but we all come from the same place. We're all the same people. Doesn't matter what we look like. That's why racism is stupid. We all come from the same place. And just so you know, science believes the same thing. Well, they don't believe the same thing, but they have to, they have to give Christians this. Because where is the cradle of life? It's there in Mesopotamia. Human civilization, scientifically, they have to say it came from right where the Bible says the Garden of Eden was. Don't you love it? I love when science catches up with the Bible. But what did Shem, Ham, Japheth, what did the sons of Noah see Noah do? First thing, he killed an animal. What is God doing in the ancient world as Shem, Ham, Japheth go all over the place to, to populate the world? Which, by the way, God told them to do. And do you remember what they did instead? They all stayed together and they built one city. And then they had the idea, let's build a tower that goes all the way to heaven. The Tower of Babel. God said, I told you guys what to do. You're not doing it. I'm going to separate. I'm going to make you go. Which, by the way, the Tower of Babel... Didn't look like the uh, Sears Tower. Didn't look like uh, Empire State Building because they didn't have that kind of technology. What did it look like? A pyramid! Give a five-year-old some blocks and tell him to build something that's real tall. He's going to learn in five seconds, wider base equals more length up. So it wasn't aliens. Just common sense. We all come from the same place. And we all saw the same things. Which is why as Shimham and Japheth went all over uh, into Asia, into Europe, and down into Africa, they took these same things that God had. And why did God put animal sacrifice in the minds of those early peoples? Because we had to know that our sin requires something to die. So we could see the gospel of Jesus at the correct right time. That he came and lived the perfect life. The perfect spotless lamb to die in our place for our sins. So the ancient world, first century, they're still sacrificing animals. And a lot of those animal parts weren't used. And understand this, meat wasn't an every meal, everyday situation in the ancient world. It was expensive and it was special. Now rich people could have meat a lot, but most people, it was a celebration, it was a feast. Not everybody had just lambs to slaughter. It was expensive, it was a sign of wealth in the ancient world. So the parts that weren't used in the temple uh, worship... Listen, these animals were slaughtered in pagan temple worship. But the parts that weren't used got wrapped up and sent to the meat markets where it was discounted. There's people in the church going, but can't we just eat the cheaper meat? Paul says, yes! Whoa! You can buy that meat. You don't have to care where it comes from. At a discounted price, you take it home and you enjoy it. Or you get around with neighbors, or if your neighbors buy some, and, and they've got more than they can eat, and they invite you over. You go over, and free of conscience, you gobble up that medium-rare meat. 
Yes. Part of Christian freedom. Yes. There's one final no we get in chapter 10. Give up your right to eat meat sacrificed to idols in another person's home. If a person informs you that the meat was sacrificed to idols and thus implies that they think you as a Christian would object. So you're sitting at somebody's house and they put down something in front of you. If they don't say anything about it, you are free of conscience to gobble it up and enjoy it in Christian freedom. But if your neighbor says, I saw them buy this at the meat market from the pagan temple, then you got to push the plate back. Not because, not because you're weak in your conscience. You know it's just meat. It doesn't mean anything. But for the sake of the conscience of the weak brother or the person that informs you, you need to push that plate back, loving them more than enjoying your freedom. Are we all trekking? 16 minutes, you ready? Let's go. Chapter 8, verse 1. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know, now look, this is in quotation marks. All of us possess knowledge. So in the communication the Corinthian church is giving on the matter of food uh, sacrifice to idols, you got two groups going. Some are saying, no, 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 no. And some are saying, yes, 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 yes. Well, some of the yes people are saying, we have knowledge. We understand some things that our weaker conscience, brothers and sisters. And listen, let's be fair. Because, I mean, this is where I would fall. I'm not the weaker brother in these situations. I was raised in churches that had a lot of superstition in them. How many of you know superstitious people? They won't buy a black car because black's the color of evil and the devil. I mean, just weird stuff. Superstitious people. There's certain music they can't listen to. Oh, no, those drums are ancient African beats that worship the devil. I mean, that's what my youth pastor told me. You can't listen to rock and roll because drums are of the devil. Eventually, if you apply yourself to study and understanding, you're going to work yourself out of some of those superstitions uh, uh, that, that, that so easily entangle so many people. What you eat, what, you, what day you worship, on, all we've talked about, all that stuff before. There's a lot of superstition out there. Some of us, as we grow... We understand that, that that is superstition and we don't want any part of it. We grow up in our faith. We grow up in knowledge that that's really nothing. But not everybody does. But for you right now, are you the weaker brother or, or, or is this where you would be? I have knowledge. I studied. I know some things that I didn't know back then when I lived in different ways. I've evolved. Not macro, micro evolving. There is no macro evolving. No missing link yet. Sorry, science. The argument is we possess knowledge. We know that that's really nothing. So what's the big deal? This knowledge puffs up. And let's be honest. And I don't really have time to get into this, but 
If, we, if you have been a Christian who has applied yourself to the study of God's word for more than five years, you've probably been in this position where God showed you in the mirror that your knowledge really wasn't helping you love your brother and sister well. It was just puffing you up and making you into kind of a jerk. All of those of you who are raised reformed, you know this very well. While all the charismatics, you're like, no, I'm the weak. I'm the superstitious person. I think everything's wrong. <laughs> I'm having a good time, whether you like it or not. Knowledge puffs up. We think we're smarter than other people. We think we're better than other people. And we walk around with our chest out and our noses up. And I've told you my self-righteous stories a bunch of times, but they're, they're even more out there. And God shows me self-righteousness in myself almost on a weekly basis. Because knowledge does puff up. And it's amazing to me. I can, it's easy to see. And I hope, man, I hope you can see it in you. Listen, there are things I've been studying for 25 years that I'm still not ready to to make a case for. But there are some people in this church, man, they've read two books, and they know exactly what is right and what is wrong. And who's right and who's wrong. Especially when it comes to eschatology, amen? Come on. Knowledge puffs up. But what builds up? Love. If we don't get this verse, knowledge puffs up, but it's love that builds up. So why Jesus, love covers a multitude of sins. Isn't that a beautiful verse? There's a lot of beautiful verses. The pure, all things are pure. It's a lot of beautiful verses. Sometimes, and this, you only learn this in marriage after decades. You can be right and wrong at the same time. Because when we're right and we get puffed up and we put our foot down and I'm the king of my castle, you're going to get divorced, boy. (laughs) And rightly so. Relationships are about love. And we got to have truth, of course. We got to love, love builds. More than not, we share our knowledge from a place of height, from a place of not altruism, but a place of self-righteousness and asceticism. And, it, and we turn people off. We harm weaker brothers and sisters. And that's not what God wants for his people. We don't need more church splits over, you know, whether it's pectinarianism. I don't, I don't know all the words for all the different diets in here. We don't need any more church splits over, well, this person says I can eat this, this person says I can't. When these are situational issues that we can love one another through. If you go to our website, we've got a whole list of things in our open and closed hands that we're not going to fight about. We're going to love one another through. Which means sometimes for the, for the strong, sacrificing our rights for the sake of the weaker. And it also means the weaker are going to have to grow up, but that's chapter 10. We'll get there. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines, listen, hear me, hear God. 
if anyone imagines, if you are so sure, I mean, if you're starting a blog to tell us everything we're doing wrong, you got it all, you never done anything, but you got it all figured out. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. Let's just let that sink in. And I want to be the king example in this. Again, 25 years, I, have, I got two degrees in the Bible. I have loved Jesus and loved his word and committed myself to it. And chapter by chapter, verse by verse, everything in context, over and over and over and over again. Listen, I still don't have this thing figured out. And the more I read, guess what? The more I realize I don't have this thing figured out. <laughs> and you know what the Bible says? That's kind of how wisdom begins. That's the beginning of wisdom. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm wise, okay? In a world of pride and in a world of ego and in a world of vanity. The internet age, it's what it's done to us. We are the vainest people on the face of the planet. You got moms telling other moms how the right way to cut apples are online. Because you're Miss Mommy Parent of the Year. Your kid is three years old. You don't know what being a parent is. We are so vain. When I first planted this church, everybody told me, you've got a blog, you've got to have a blog, you've got to have bloggings in, but you've got to have a blog. So I started a blog, wordpress.com, my Brit Stevens blog. I hated it. I hated the idea of it. Because I'm this young guy trying to plant a church. I'm like, but what? Jesus loves you. I mean, what do I know? So I wrote entry number one. I titled it, The Vanity of Blogging. <laughs> it's a true story. And I just wrote, who do we think we are? Having to tell everybody you know, in the world what we think about everything. That was the only blog I ever wrote. <laughs> it came out so wonderfully. I was just like, I, yeah, I'm done blogging. That's all I wanted to say. <laughs> One and done. <laughs> Where does this vanity come from? This over-realized value in self. Where's the altruism? Where's the love that builds up? The love like Jesus loved. If anyone imagines he knows something, this, this should be, and guys, Father's Day next week, we got a great mug for you. It's awesome. But this is going to be next year's mug. Let's write that down, staff, so we won't forget. If anyone thinks he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. Just keeps us humble. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Guess who does know perfectly? God. He knows everything. He knows all things. And he knows perfect. He has perfect understanding, perfect knowledge. And we are loved by him and known by him as we look to him. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that. Now, notice the quotation marks again. These are things the people are saying to Paul in their defense. An idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. Strong Christians, mature Christians know that, amen? You should know that. There's one God. But not everybody knows that, Paul responds. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven, 
or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords. Now, Paul's not saying, yes, in fact, there are many gods. He's saying, I know there's gods everywhere you look. You go through the market, there's trinkets here to this guy, there's trinkets. These are so-called gods. They're not real gods, but they are everywhere. Yet for us, verse 6, there is, now watch this, one God. Paul, this is, this is actually one of the, the deepest, most profound Christological statements on the deity of Christ in the Bible. John 1.1, John 1.14 obviously are the greatest Christological uh, statements of deity of Christ. But this is, this is number two right here. Because Paul is quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4. Which is this Jewish prayer said every morning, every evening by the Jewish people. Their entire lives, they're raised, quoting, praying this every morning. Because it was, the, it was like the Apostles' Creed for the Jewish people. It was their faith statement about who they were as God's people. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. The Lord our God is one. Everybody else was polytheistic. They were monotheistic. The Lord our God is one. So, so Paul quotes from the Shema, the, this prayer of the Jewish people. And then he adds Christ right into it. I love it. For us, there is one God, the Father, from whom, all, from whom are all things and from whom we exist. And it's not just one Lord, one God. It's, it's one God, the Father, one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom... Same thing he says about the Father, he says about Christ, through whom are uh, all things and through whom we exist. This takes us right to Colossians and John. It is through Christ all things were created. When we look in the, the face of Christ, we see the face of the Father. We are in him, through him. All things have been created. He holds us all together. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is He's not just a man who did some good things. He's not just a prophet who knew some right teachings. He is God in flesh, one with the Father. Which leads you to your Trinitarian thinking, which will turn your brains inside out for sure. But to deny it, Augustine said, to study it is to lose your mind. To deny it is to lose your faith. Jesus Christ is God. Take the Jehovah Witnesses to that one. Verse 7. However, now... Not all possess this knowledge. What knowledge is he talking about? Back up to four. An idol has no real existence. There is no God but one. Not everybody, Paul says, has this knowledge. But some through former association. Man, there's some people that come from dark places. And God saves them. And it's our job to protect them and to grow them. Not to push them back into former uh, associations with dark things. Things that will hinder them from growing in Christ. Man, I love Pink Floyd. Love them. But I'm not going to sit down with a new Christian and be like, hey, listen to this whole album in the dark. <laughs> I enjoy that. 
But I wouldn't do that to a new Christian. I'd be like, dude, go to Galatians, read Galatians, memorize Galatians. Right? We want to do things that are going to help younger brothers, younger sisters, not, not distract them from the growth that needs to occur in their life. There's a lot of people with former associations with the, the idols that were prevalent at the time. And so eating food, when they see us eating the food of the idols, for them it's like we're worshiping the idols because that's what they used to do. That's all, the only way they see it. It's the only way they know it. So their conscience being weak, it's defiled. Now look at verse 8. This is, if you find yourself weak, this is the verse that can help you get strong. We know food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, no better off if we do. The food we eat doesn't make us superior before God. The food we eat doesn't make him love us any less. Jesus told the best example of this in the Gospels. He said, what you put in the body only comes out the other end. It's nothing. Jesus spoke in great clear parables amen he said it's what comes out of the mouth that's what defiles a person because it comes from the heart the heart is wicked we need a savior his name's jesus let's get to it but food neither good or bad it's just a thing can't commend us to god can't make him love us any less but take care that this right of yours and understanding and having that knowledge Take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed for whom Christ died. And this next verse is scary. Because when we go ahead and put it up, we got to move 15 seconds. (laughs) It's going to be a little bit. In sinning again, when we don't care enough to even concern ourselves with where our brother may be or what they may be wrestling with or what they may be struggling with as account of our actions, not only do we sin against them, Jesus says, you sin against me. Remember what he told Paul as Paul was going to imprison Christians before, when he was still Saul, before he was saved. This is actually part of his salvation experience. What does Jesus say? He's got letters to throw Christians in jail. He hated Christians. Jesus stops him on the road to Damascus and he says, Paul, why are you, does he say, why are you persecuting these people over here? No, he takes the persecution of his people seriously and personally. He says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? That was Jesus' words to him. When we sin against our brothers and sisters... Well, Brent, maybe, maybe I didn't. That's a, listen, there's not knowing, there's being innocent, and then there's knowing and doing it anyway. And that's what Paul is talking about. How could we know that we are hurting and hindering a brother and still do it on purpose? It is not for the Christian to do such. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, it's why Paul is quick to say, Man, if food's going to make my brother stumble, I will never eat meat again. Now, just think about that. All the strong brothers and sisters in here. Just think about that statement of Paul. And we're going to get even further into it next week when he says things like, I will be all things to all people. To the Jews, I'll be like a Jew. To a Gentile, I'll I'll do anything short of sin to reach people with the gospel of Jesus. 
And that should be the heart of it. Not, well, it's my right and I can do this and they're just dumb and I know better than they know. No, that, that kind of pride and arrogance, it just shows we're puffed up. But it's, love, it's caring about other people the way that Jesus cares about other people that builds up. Man, I want four points to continue to have this, this, this feeling, this gospel feeling in it of people who love him and love one another. And, and listen, we're doing so well right now. Every time there's a meal train, every time somebody is hurt, man, we got people and then we find apartments for single moms and meal trains fill up all the time. We, we do well in serving, but I don't want us to lose it. I want us to continue to understand. I told you a few weeks ago, and it's been a while since I preached, but if you remember, don't just enjoy the fruit. Love the orchard. Love the orchard. Because it's going to take all of us, the strong brothers, being loving and the weak brothers allowing us to help build you up because you can't stay weak forever. But we both have to come together in Jesus' name. Now watch, because how many of you know what a decision tree is? This is Paul's decision tree. Look with me. And we're going to revisit this in the next three weeks. Paul's decision tree. Does the Bible allow it? If the answer is no, don't do it. It's so simple. The Bible, and again, the Bible's very clear. Don't try to go in and make sexual immorality. Well, this could be a situational issue. No, it's not, ever. Does the Bible allow it? No, then don't do it. Yes, the Bible does allow it. That moves us to our second box. Does my conscience allow it? There was a time I didn't listen. I got, man, I was that kid in youth group, burned all my CDs. There was a time for me I couldn't do it because it reminded me too much of my old life. But by God's grace over time, through some Credence Clearwater Revival and a couple other innocent songs, I was able to enjoy secular music again. I grew up. But there's a time where you can't. So does my conscience allow it? If your conscience is like, I'm, just, I'm only going to listen to things that glorify God. If your conscience, don't do it. But if the Bible allows it, and you're like, okay, and you're con- you don't feel bad uh, uh, about a situational issue, then okay, that moves us to this next box where we have to ask three different questions. And again, this is chapter 8, 9, and 10. What is the effect on other Christians? That should be something we care about. Now, the alphabet community, I don't give a flip what they think about me. Right? The, the, the world stage, I don't care in terms of these kind of issues, we got question two here. We got to figure out too. Question one is what? What is this going to do to my brothers and sisters in Christ? Because if I sin against them, I'm actually sinning against Christ. Love is more important than knowledge. Number two, what is the effect on non-Christians? Because the gospel is more important than my rights. And number three, what is the effect on my spiritual life? Spiritual health is more important than freedom. Remember what Paul says in the beginning of chapter 6. All things are permissible for me, but not all things are beneficial. Is this going to help me grow towards Christ? Or is it just something that is a distraction in my life? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord Jesus, help us to process well. Lord Jesus, help us. 
There's a lot of strong brothers and sisters here. And praise God for a church full of strong brothers and sisters. As we prepare ourselves for communion now, may we, may we analyze ourselves and may we remember the text. Father, that it is love that builds up and not knowledge. It is in Jesus' name. Amen.